Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I once heard it said that Jeremiah was a bullfrog and he always had a mighty fine time singing joy to the world. But that must be a different Jeremiah from the one we meet today. That Jeremiah talks about joy, but this Jeremiah expresses a triune heartache. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. He voices this trilogy of agony, and some even suggest those words might actually be the voice of God. I know that within the romanticized and traditional notions of masculinity, we hear that real men don't cry, and some even endorse a machismo mentality. But remember, God suffers and God weeps, even as the shortest verse of the Bible reminds us that Jesus wept. What we have today is a prophet who weeps. Don't underestimate tears. They may not mean what you think, and they may come without warning. St. Augustine, in his Confessions, recounts his mother's death at the age of 56 when he was 33 years old. He was by her side when she expired her last breath. He closed her eyes and, and said a great wave of sorrow surged into his heart. Tears started to come, but he stemmed the flow and the tears dried up. He thought it was more mature to put his sobs in check and not mark his mother's death in that way because it wasn't total extinction or misery since she was a woman of faith. He fought against the wave of emotional sorrow and, and didn't even shed a tear at the burial ground. It wasn't until he woke up the next morning that he wept for her and himself. And he writes this. The tears which I have been holding back streamed down, and I let them flow as freely as they would, making of them a pillow for my heart. On them it rested. His heart rests on a pillow of tears, on grief. And groaning grief seems to be the loud cacophony in our world all of the uncertainty, all of the unknown, all the fear, all the anguish, all the pain, all the tension, politically, socially, racially, all the loss, economically and physically, over 500,000 deaths now in the United States due to the vicious virus known as COVID-19. We have good reason to weep right alongside Jeremiah. 
Some faint in overwhelming sorrow for lives cut too short by a virus or a bullet in the back or a knee on the neck of another human being. Some mothers bawl like the Old Testament figure Rachel, weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This grief is oral and aural and visual, choreographed by the spirit of a broken world. And we observe and hear the grief of Jeremiah today. It's not a pretty sight. The pages of scripture are soaked with sorrow and lament. He's moaning his mourning. Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. This is embodied grief. A grief that terrorizes the body and reshapes the contour of one's life. In his personal journal, published as A Grief Observed, C.S. Lewis pens the shape of his grief in the wake of the death of his wife, Joy Davidman. Cancer and cancer and cancer, he writes. My mother, my father, my wife, I wonder who's next in the queue. The presence of this absence was so poignant that Lewis writes, her absence is like the sky spread over everything. His joy was gone. His heart was sick and grief was upon him to such an extent that he declares, I am a death's head. Somatic grief just like Jeremiah, on the streets and in homes all across America. Publishers Weekly notes that sales for books on grief do pretty well. Grief sells well as, as people try to discover how best to deal with it. But I'm not sure the book of Jeremiah has sold as well, especially his lamentations that are found in, in chapters 11 to 20. Everybody wants to rush to proof text Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Yet I don't know of anyone who tries to memorize at bedtime, we look for peace, but find no good for a time of healing, but there is terror instead. I mean, that was the state of the people in Jerusalem. I, mean, I don't hear anyone quoting the lament of the people. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Jeremiah is a weeping prophet, not one who pimps people for financial profits. Tears are his food day and night, but his tears may not be what you think. There's something compelling, something honest, something real and raw about Jeremiah's descent into the shadow of a people's darkness. Far too long, certain sectors of religion have attempted to avoid the abyss. But Jeremiah reveals the truthful necessity of facing the abyss along a trail of tears. The reason for Jeremiah's grief and joylessness and heartsickness and mourning is that the people are about to experience doom and destruction, and they have a sense of abandonment and loneliness. 
God seems to be in abstention. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? It's the piercing question of, of lamentation that God even asks God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a blues inflected interrogation. Where are you, God? But the people of God are not the only ones questioning. God raises his own voice. Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The irony is that the Lord is in Zion and has his own questions for the people. Based on what God says, this is actually a situation of self-imposed exile and hurt based on the choices of people. The situation is so grim that Jeremiah sings his own blues note. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Later in the book of Jeremiah, there is restoration. But in this specific moment, he doesn't distance himself from the hurt and sorrow of his own people. He's not afraid to cry. Real men don't cry, they say. But prophets do. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt, I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. His tears form a, a path of solidarity and suffering. Don't underestimate tears. They may not mean what you think. As one Yiddish proverb says, what soap is for the body, tears are for the soul. There's much fruit from tears. Jeremiah reveals that they are a gift as tears embody the prophetic ministry of grief. Tears have a prophetic ministry. It's important to remember that the office of the prophet was to ultimately be a gift for the welfare and well-being of the nation as a whole. When Jeremiah cries, he yearns for the restoration of his people, which is why he asks, why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? As a prophet, he not only stands over against them as a mouthpiece of God, he stands with them in mourning and grief at their impending funeral. He sheds a, a fountain of tears as an aspect of his prophetic work. His grief is prophetic because he refuses to be silent in the face of horror and terror and injustice and pandemics. The word is like fire shut up in his bones and he, he doesn't shrink back from voicing the raw grief of life. Prophetic grief is a form of lament that boldly proclaims life is not right. Prophetic grief tells it like it is. Tears can represent a torn heart, but this type of tear-filled grief and pathos is also a form of, of social criticism. One may shed tears because one refuses to shrink back from struggle and pain and injustice. Joy is gone. But hope is not. This ministry of grief is the embrace of weeping and lamentation as a part of our spiritual repertoire and in the process helps others engage their experiences of suffering honestly 
rather than respond with numbness, fear, self-deception, and a denial of reality. In many ways, Jeremiah realized the words of this hymn, we have come over a way that with tears has been watered. He's not afraid to name his and his people's sorrows. Every teardrop is a prophetic act of resistance against the way life is and a prayer for something better because of his faith in God. Prophetic grief doesn't leave God off the hook. It interrogates the goodness of God. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Questioning God is a part of the Christian faith in which we recognize that many times there are more questions than answers. And it takes courage to ask God anything, especially when we may not receive the answer we want or any answer at all. But prophet Jeremiah still courageously asks questions because he believes so deeply in the loving reality of God. He doesn't ask in unbelief. He asks because he believes with deep abiding faith. He asks, is there no balm in Gilead? Because he does believe God is present. Although he experiences theological dissonance as he can't make sense of the hurt of his people. Yet he hopes because there is a sense that catastrophic events do not undermine the credibility of God. Prophets are prisoners of hope, not just bearers of bad news. Their jeers and tears are rooted in a hope in God. When Jeremiah is called, he's called to pluck up and pull down, to build and to plant. Judgment and restoration, warnings of doom, but always followed by promises of hope. The prophetic ministry of grief is hopeful. Those who do not grieve cannot truly hope because weeping permits newness, healing, and hope. The tears flowing from Jeremiah's head are not a sign of weakness, but strength of spirit in the spirit. All of this weeping and lamentation doesn't represent an erosion of hope, but necessary elements of hope. And in Augustinian fashion, tears form a pillow, and on them hope rests, making tears a part of the texture of hope. Even earlier in the book of Jeremiah, we hear that God refers to God's self as a fountain of living water, and the people use cracked cisterns that can hold no water. This suggests that God is our living water source, and apart from God, we will be dry and thirsty. But notice, Jeremiah is full of water as his head is a spring of water and his eyes a fountain of tears. His weeping then suggests the presence of God, that God is in his tears in the water of holy weeping. This means that hope is tear-stained. If not, it isn't real hope. Tears sow the seeds of hope. And these tears are sacramental, not only as a sign of divine presence, but as a sign of our own baptism, the waters of the Spirit's washing. So God is in our tears. 
God is in your tears. As Durham's own Pauli Murray has said, hope is a song in a weary throat. Or as Pastor J. Alfred Smith has proclaimed, hope is a tiny sprout growing in cracked concrete. That means the tears, the suffering, the weary throat, the cracked concrete are the settings out of which hope is born. Hope comes amid our grief, despite our grief, but not without it. Hope is tinged with the ashes of despair and resides in and rises out of the ruins of human life. This means that tears are the foundation for our eventual triumph in Christ. Don't underestimate tears because they may not mean what you think. They may reveal that you are actually a prophet and those who sow in tears will reap in hope. Thanks be to God. Amen.